Hello and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Anchor Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Uh, so this is episode two of the Dungeon Musings Anchor Cast and uh, we've got a mailbag question that we can address that actually asks a pretty interesting question. So let me pause briefly and uh, play that question. Hello, this is uh, Robert from the DM Dad Podcast. I uh, just listened to your first episode. Um, I thought it was great. I'm uh, very interested in both uh, the Barrow Maze uh, Mega Dungeon. I'd like to run that myself someday, although I'll probably run it with Swords and Wizardry. Um, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm curious about the Pathfinder uh, Second Edition playtest um, to see, you know, what it's gonna what it's gonna be like. I was uh, interested in something you said about how the the Pathfinder um, playtest made all combat sort of of equal weight. All combat, like I guess, every battle is as good as a boss battle, or as or as important as a boss battle, and therefore it takes a long time. Is that something that you think is indicative of like modern D and D style systems as opposed to old school systems? Okay, so that's a really interesting question as to whether the tactical complexity or the the focus on detail in combat is necessarily a uh, modern game thing or modern D&D thing or whether it's uh, something that is in the OSR as well too. And uh, the reason I find that interesting is because I've actually been, I was talking with a a buddy at my uh, friendly local gaming store, the Century Box in uh, Calgary, um, Alberta, Canada, uh, about this the other day and, you know, I'm not sure that complexity of combat uh, necessarily relates to modern games. I mean, not. I mean, I know it doesn't because if um, anyone of a certain vintage, like say my age in their you know early forties, um, has played Rollmaster, Rollmaster is an extraordinarily complex game. Uh, it uh, required charts and tables, and it provided. Uh, minute detail about your character's capabilities, strengths and weaknesses and so forth and that complexity came from a game that came out in the early 80s so complexity and combat in that system as well was extraordinarily detailed, you know, every action you took, whether it was a movement action or a offensive action or defensive action had some kind of dice roll and some kind of table you're referring to and that included movement actions I mean for those who may remember Rollmaster are well you know acquainted with the moving maneuver table where you if you're trying anything of any sort of complexity uh, like running through an uh, uneven field or something like that uh, you may be making a skill check based on your armor uh, to determine the success or failure of that um, of that action so um and GURPS, I mean, to be honest, you know, GURPS, the generic universal role-playing system, which grew out of the fantasy trip, that measures combat by second. Uh, the decisions you make are on a second-by-second second, uh, basis. Now, Rollmaster, I have some great fondness for uh, in, in nostalgia. I haven't actually tried to run it in the last, God, like 20 years probably. Uh, but GURPS, I have run, and GURPS, I, I really, like, for what it is, I do love that game. Uh, and what I think I meant by when I said that the, there's a lot of complexity is that the you know go flowing on what the game system encourages the players and the, the DM to do 
all of those games, uh, Pathfinder, Pathfinder 2nd Edition, 3rd Edition D&D, 4th Edition D&D, uh, even 5th to a degree with its um, actions, uh, with its action economy, um, what those games tell you with having specified decisions that you get to make and spe- specified like tactics and things like that that you can take each round or just parsing out the you know, the seconds that tick by as you're in a combat encounter, what all that tells you is that this is important stuff. This is going to be something we are going to focus a great deal of attention and rules and um, player decision-making and player agency will be focused and quantified in those formats. And that in and of itself doesn't mean that every combat has to necessarily be the same, where you can't differentiate between a boss battle and a, and a, you know, a bunch of minions. But I think what it means is that um, it means that that it's, uh, you know, it is going to be the largest focus of the time you spend at the table if you're playing the game as written. And I guess what I mean by that is that the, the I've seen some people talk about how you know uh, or I've heard someone mention on, on another podcast before that uh, oh well someone says oh we had a great session of D&D where we never rolled dice and we were just role playing the whole time and the response of that particular podcaster was well then you're not playing the game and I mean that's just I think petty and, and uh, you know splitting hairs and, and whatever and not really understanding what the person was, was I think getting at or disingenuously misreading or mischaracterizing what the person was trying to say but what I mean by I guess the play as intended is if you're going to be playing a Dungeons and Dragons fantasy game where your characters are going around in a dangerous environment and encountering dangerous things um, combat is inevitably going to be a part of that and how much detail is focused on each of those that dictates how much of your time is spent on that like I don't really remember how we played Rollmaster back in the day, uh, but I can tell you that combat, looking at the rules nowadays, would take as much, if not more time, than what, you know, uh, combat in 4th edition D&D and whatever else uh, chews up, whatever, uh, however much time yeah, that uh, is chewed up in those more modern games, for sure would be taken up in Rollmaster. So in the same sense, Rollmaster is, um, you know, that game is tells you that combat is really important because we're going to be providing ample of details and decision-making points where you're going to be able to decide what kind of weapon you use, what kind of armor you wear, what kind of attack you do, what kind of defenses you you engage in. And that's something that has carried on in a lot of crunch-heavy games. You know, it's not for nothing that a lot of the design people who were involved in 3rd edition D&D were people who wrote, you know, cut their teeth on Rollmaster products. Money Cook, um, you know, one of the luminaries of the D20 kind of movement, he wrote one of my favorite uh, Rollmaster supplements, this whole thing called Dark Space. And the reason I mention that is because I think that that level of simulationist kind of approach where you want to be measuring a lot of the back and forth that's going on in any given tactical encounter, that stuff that's been uh, applied to... Uh, more modern versions of uh, of strictly of D and D, the the actual branded stuff and uh, Pathfinder. So third edition, three point five, Pathfinder, Pathfinder second edition, and fifth edition D and D. And now one thing that I think that has gotten lost in uh, 
in the shuffle on some of those though is the distinction between types of encounter now what a complex combat system tells you is that combat in general is going to be an important exercise is going to be important and detailed part of any play experience because when you're getting uh, involved in combat um, you engage a you know probably the most complex part of the rule set uh, and you compare that well, I guess so so that that's the um, that's what those modern versions of D&D tell you and what some OSR games I think you know AD&D to degree has that level has a degree of complexity to it as well in terms of you know order of actions when you know when spellcasting happens and whatnot and uh, um, if you look at more modern iterations of D&D like um, uh, Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea or Osric uh, those games have pretty complex um, turn sequences in their in their games so there's a degree of uh, complexity there that again tells you that combat is an important thing and uh, that's not necessarily a, a modern or, or new school game thing. What I think though is that there's a distinction to be made between that and dramatic importance and that's where it comes into the idea of there being a boss fight you know and boss fight's such a video game thing and when you think about video games uh, and role-playing games tabletop role-playing games fourth edition is always the thing that kind of crops up but um you know i think that there is something to be said for being able to mechanically distinguish certain levels of um importance of different combats where certain things will require the full set of rules and all the different things that go with it and require all that time whereas other ones you'll be able to hand wave and get through now with certain combat systems where there isn't any kind of inherent distinction between threat of monsters and i don't necessarily mean the level or the cr of monsters i mean in the grand scheme of the narrative are these stormtrooper minions who are going to go down like nothing um but they should still should have a, a meaningful presence in the combat encounter or are they the Darth Vader? The, like, holy shit, this is where it's important. This is going to be a really involved uh, and complex and consequential combat encounter. And 4th edition dis it clearly made that distinction with the use of rules of minions and regular monsters and elites, which were, like, twice hit points, and then um, solo monsters, which were effectively boss monsters. The execution of that idea in 4th edition wasn't great, and um, and it really did chew up a, because of the nature of that system, it chewed up just a shit ton of time at the table. But, that idea of using mechanics to control the narrative flow of, a, uh, of an encounter um, I think is different from the idea of it being of all combat being important. Pathfinder, and I think that that's also one of the things that we would have found more satisfying uh, about the particular Pathfinder system is that if it used, or the second edition system, if it used some kind of mechanic to differentiate between threats where minions you could blow through more quickly and uh, solos like bosses would take a lot longer to get through and not just because they've got more hit points but because it is a more interesting and more complicated adversary to face it then i think that um 
that would have we we would we still would have been okay with that. We could have used more minions in random encounters and stuff like that. There still isn't an issue of that not necessarily living up to the the fictional conceits of the setting, but it would allow us to dial up and dial down the complexity of each combat encounter um, so that every fight doesn't feel like it's got the same level of attention and focus in the sense of the the, the amount of tactical crunch we have to have in it. You know, um, I am a, a long-time fan of the uh, tabletop uh, miniature game Battletech. I, I love Battletech, and it, it's one of those things that when I play it, I still think like, God damn it, why am I playing this? Because it takes four hours to play a session. But I will still go back and pull my books out and read them all over, and, and I, I'm just a sucker for that setting. But one of the things with Battletech that um, is uh, is clear from it is that there there's a sweet spot uh, at about 25% into your session before you hit about 75%. So that 50% middle ground where the game's awesome. The last bit of the fight sucks because you're just, you know how, you know, the writing's on the wall, you know how things are going to go, and um, it's just, it's a bit of a grind. But you play it through anyway in the hopes that the dice will maybe turn around on you. Or because the other player who's winning wants to really kick the shit out of you. Uh, the converse, the beginning of it's just kind of boring because you're just kind of moving things around and there's not really a lot of uh, situation. There's not a lot of ma- meaningful change to the encounter until you really get into the meat of the uh, of the encounter. It feels like a lot of these more tactically complex games are like that. And if you were able to tune the mechanics so that you s- minimize the first and last bit of that encounter where it's really just getting to that dramatic meat, then I feel like that's where the um, where you wouldn't suffer the problem that we had, which was the sameness of in terms of the severity and the importance of every... Not severity, but the importance of every single encounter. When every single encounter... you know, you, And you may vary things up in terms of like, boy, this is a more difficult adversary, this is an easier adversary... Um, there's more of them, there's less of them. That's a way of distinguishing something, but it still ends up being about the same. And I think that it's one of the things that is really um, needed in those types of, if you're going to run a highly dramatic and and fiction-focused kind of um, game that has a lot of combat in it, you need to be able to dial the rules and the mechanics to the appropriate level to suit the dramatic intent of it and not have it be, you know, okay, now we're out of the fun, exciting narrative and now we're into the grind of everyone taking their their turn and, uh, you know, we're uh, paying attention to the minutia of the uh, mechanics. Um, and again, that's, that's sort of predicated on the idea that drama and the energy of the combat is uh, is important. Now, what does that have to do with the OSR? More about that in the next segment. Okay, now before diving into discussing the OSR and the tactical, like what, what the combat rules in that tell us about that uh, system, I, I want to share an insight I had on 
some more story-focused games. So um, two ones I want to talk about that I recently encountered, um, by recent I mean like the last year or so, uh, are uh, Blades in the Dark and the more the newest edition uh, of the Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game published by uh, Fantasy Flight. Now, those two games are a little different in the sense that uh, Legend of the Five Rings um, is about, or rather uses proprietary dice that have specific, you know, um, results on them. They don't use normal dice. They have uh, two different specific types of dice. Uh, but the thing is, they have, what what that really means is you use those special dice because the dice have these dice tricks. They, they have certain results on them, and the results that you roll have different corresponding consequences in the, uh, in the fiction, in the story of, of the game. Blades in the Dark is the same thing where, you know, depending on whether you roll a 1 to 3, a 4 or a 5, or a 6 on your d6 roll, it has different uh, meanings in terms of the effects on the fiction. So both of those games, I, I, I mean, Legend of the Five Rings, I fell pretty darn hard for just because I really love that setting. But I actually, but I actually like that... Um, uh, the, the game mechanics as well, too. I think that it is the strongest... Ex, um, uh, expression of the narrative dice mechanic that uh, Fantasy Flight has put out. And one of the reasons I feel that way is because it has really streamlined the mechanics of it. There's really only four results that you can get on the dice. Two of them, one of them is really kind of a duplicate of another. It's just an exploding version of successes. Um, and there's only two types of dice, but what that's done is it streamlined the mechanics in it. So you still have a good, fun story mechanic, but you're not picking a zillion different kinds of dice that all contribute to really wonky uh, outcomes from the dice rolls. Similarly, uh, Blades in the Dark just uses D6s, but it does use them in a way that is different from the way most other games make use of them. So they really are kind of special dice as well. Blades in the Dark is, again, a really story-focused game. Now, when I say story-focused, what I mean is that the dice mechanics, if you look just at them... The dice mechanics are pretty simplistic. Like there's really not a, there is a game there in the sense of like rules mechanics that you can interact with and you can make tactical decisions on and you can try and engage with in a way that changes the outcome that comes from dice rolls and how that applies to the fiction. But it does not have the level of complexity that a game like Pathfinder or, you know, a lot of the World of, World of Darkness games or... Um, really any other kind of game that has a much more co complex rules mechanic. The uh, 2D20 system, for instance, the Modifius system that runs a lot of their games, that has a great deal more complexity than what these other ones do. Um, and <clears throat> the reason they have that, I think, is because the, f the game is filled out by the description of the players and the DM and the experience of the players interacting or their characters interacting with the fiction. And that's the thing I, I, I came to after running Blades in the Dark the most recently. Technically, it was actually a Band of Blades, which was a, a Forge in the Dark, a game inspired by that. But it was very much, it, it reminded me like, oh, you know what? There really isn't much in the way of rules here. It's really all about interpreting the dice results. And... After I started running some of the old school games again, um, starting with uh, Adventure Conquer King, and then I've been running uh, Scarlet Heroes lately, and uh, drawing from a bunch of other different things as well, 
uh, like uh, Osric and, and Astonishing Swordsman, Sorcerers of Hyperborea and, uh, and, and Swords and Wizardry and, and whatnot. But um, running those games, running Adventure Conquer King again, it reminded me how much, it reminded me a lot of these story games where the dice mechanics are fairly minimal. Um, you know, there's very few things you needed to keep track of. And if what that allowed you to do and also kind of required you to do is to fill in the play experience with your narrative. And the more that we did that, and if the players engage with that, it just felt like a much more, a much richer game where we were buying, buying more into the fiction because the mechanics didn't have that. Didn't have, you know, there wasn't a, a great deal of mechanics to engage with. So because we're all, you know, avid gamers or my players were at least, um, that's where we went was to the narrative. Um, another thing is, is that, that I noticed with, with the OSR games is the combat runs so much quicker. So I don't know whether it's that, um, you know, going to my Battletech example about the, um, the 25% of the start of combat's not great. Uh, 25 at the end isn't great. Uh, but that 50% middle part where people are taking damage and, you know, things are changing and your cape, your character's capability or your battle max capability is changing. Um, that's the richer part of that game. But with um, a role-playing game, I mean, the first part of the, the first 25% of your combat encounter is pretty exciting because, you know, um, you're, you, or at least you get past that first 25% and you start getting to the meat of the encounter where things are changing. Hit points are going down, resources are being expended, and so forth. And <clears throat> the difference between the middle part and the end in old school games, it uh, has, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to play through that last 25% because of the morale mechanics. Morale mechanics will all, more often than not tilt in that last quarter of the fight towards monsters trying to retreat or surrendering or, or whatever. And even if they do fight to the very end, uh, the, fa the combat goes so quick in those systems that it doesn't feel like it's a exercise in mopping up. And it's, the thing that's interesting about that is that, as well, that doesn't require any kind of boss fight or boss mechanics either, or minion mechanics. You know, smaller and less powerful creatures will just, by virtue of their low hit point and the increased ability of characters to do just do damage um, for player characters, they will go down faster, you know? So there's sort of, to a degree, the pacing issue that I talked about, about... Uh, you know, having to use um, minions and blah, 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 and whatnot to, to sort of control the flow, it um, it it doesn't, um, th those old school games, they, they don't require that because they, they tend to move so quickly anyway. Um, I guess, and another thing as well too, I completely appreciate that role-playing games and, you know, tabletop games in particular, tabletop role-playing games are not movies. And I think that like a lot of the times where people get advice to adapt, you know, certain sensibilities from movies and then bring them to the role-playing games uh, or from, like, books or what, whatnot. Th those can sometimes work, but that is more, I think, a situation of, like, a stopped clock being right twice a day, where it just so happens that two different identical kind of things happen to work in the 
you know, for, for two different um, types of medium or media, I should say. And it's not necessarily that one parallels directly to the other. Uh, like for instance, you know, if, um, if you think of how con like uh, action scenes are shot in movies, you know, the quick, fast boss fights uh, or quick, quick, fast kind of like minion fights, you know, where say, you know, John Wick blows through a bunch of uh, minions. Uh, it can just be a hand wavy kind of thing where we see a guy take down two or three people in a, in a series of cutscenes, or it can be a really long and drawn out series of minion fights, you know, which make um, for a really interesting viewing experience, uh, or it can be a long standoff, you know, boss battle at the end of the movie where there's, you know, we go through different series of, uh, settings and, you know, um, set pieces and stuff like that. Um, those don't necessarily translate to role-playing games. Um, because in particular, if you're running a role-playing game that is not a, a story-focused game, like a, that is a sandbox game, like say my, my Barrel Maze campaign, you know, or, or um, a hex crawl kind of game. However, I think what you can take from that though instead is when you do roll the random encounter and you see what's at the table, that can kind of inform how that scene should play out. So instead of thinking it in terms of, oh, well, I've rolled a random encounter and it just so happens this is a massive challenge for my players they should run away from, or this is going to be a scene, you know, a wipe. Why am I wasting my time with this? Instead of approaching it from that, um, I think the way that you keep those things interesting in the OSR is by just treating those as if you had rolled that type of scene. So for instance, if you're, that may not be particularly clear, but what I mean by that is like, let's say that you roll a random encounter for a bunch of fifth level characters and it's just a handful of um, skeletons. Well, then the way you run that is as uh, you know, what's the coolest and most dramatic way we can get through this combat where they just steamroll over these things. That seems kind of fun. If it is a dramatically overpowered or, you know, something that's going to test the limits of their abilities or perhaps exceed them, then you just run that as that dramatic thing as well as a uh, horrifically powerful uh, encounter and I think the, like the chase rules. If even if the players choose to to run away, the chase rules from a lot of OSR games give you great opportunities to dramatize that and get the get the dice rolling and, and add some randomness into it rather than it just being hand wavy. But if in, if it is something they can actually engage with, then oh boy, you get to have a really fun and consequential fight just by virtue of the amount of hit points those things have. Um, and the amount of abilities they've got to keep themselves safe to a degree, uh, it will keep them around longer. And that's, I think, most OSR games, that's just sort of what ends up happening is you end up having fights with um, more powerful creatures tend to last longer, which means that it gives you an opportunity to try to, you know, make that have dramatic consequence. So I kind of got down a rabbit hole there um, <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying is that the thing I'm finding interesting about the OSR games that I'm running is that they seem to have, to a degree, a bit of a self-governing component to their mechanics because they're so streamlined and 
they don't require a lot of um, particular attention to the d detail in combat. It doesn't mean that your given sessions are about combat, but... Uh, or, or rather that the, the, any given session is pr predominantly about combat because there's a great deal of focus both in times of in terms of the time you spend in those scenes and in terms of the do amount of rules that are in play in that scene. Um, both of those are less in OSR games, but you do kind of get this consequence as well that more powerful creatures, creatures with greater hit dice, they will just tend to be around a little longer because, you know, absent like, you know, fireball wielding uh, magic users and shit like that. But I mean, you're presumably going to be putting foes out to face that and uh, and see if they, whether foes that will be uh, sufficient to uh, to deal with that potential kind of consequence or at least make it an interesting fight. Um and I, I wonder whether the, the way that this dis is dis distinguishable from, say, like Pathfinder is that there isn't a assumption about ba uh, balance in it. There isn't a baked-in dice mechanic that tells you that certain level creatures are mechanically superior in all given ways. Their saving throws, their um, attack bonuses, their hit dice, everything, uh, their AC... Everything is better than what a player character is, and or converse, the lesser powerful things are, are vastly inferior. You know, games like Starfinder, Pathfinder First Edition, Pathfinder Second Edition, Fourth Edition D and D, those rules do say that that there are things that are either beyond your um, notice because they're so weak or way more powerful, and OSR games don't do that, right? Um, a horde of orcs can still potentially be a uh, a threat to you, you know, regardless of whatever your uh, level is. And I, I'm assuming that it's within the way, the range band here that most OSR games seem to fall, which is between like first and twelfth. You know, not not going into twentieth level. Twentieth level characters are superhumans, regardless of whatever uh, system you're really you know using. Um, but that's I think it's something that's interesting about what the OSR rules kind of tell us, or at least what they're saying about combat, is that it's important and there are decisions you need to make, but it is not necessarily more important and does not need to spend more time than what you know uh, than, than what uh, other areas of the um, of the game uh, require. So, what if we? combined both took osr some of those osr sensibilities and also took some of the idea of scaling uh, adversary tiers like minions and elites and uh solos more on that in the next segment so this brings me i guess around to an idea that i'm playing with right now for my scarlet heroes game and uh, I mentioned in my uh, previous episode that uh, Scarlet Heroes really doesn't have a, a lot of mechanical complexity to it, but I also mentioned that there's I've got players in my regular gaming group who who certainly enjoy engaging with that. So what I'm doing right now is uh, I've added uh, a bunch of the ideas or the options for foci 
that come from Revised Stars Without Number, which are kind of like feats, uh, kind of like feats from 5th edition D&D in particular, where it gives your character certain abilities or opportunities that characters without those foci, um, that they're not able to do. And uh, I've split them up between general foci that anybody can pick and class-specific foci, which is something similar to what Pathfinder 2nd Edition did as well, too, with their feats. They've uh, they really sort of transformed all meaningful character decisions, mechanical decisions, are for the most part relegated to different kinds of feats, which can be feats keyed to your ancestry or what used to be called race, to your um, general or skills, like kind of general stuff that isn't related to skills, uh, feats related to skills, or feats related to your class. In addition to that, I'm also going to steal an idea from the rules for heroic mode or playing in heroic mode from Revised Stars Without Number and some of the minion rules and mob rules from Godbound. Another, both of those are other games published by Kevin Crawford uh, and written by Kevin Crawford, as is um, Scarlet Heroes. And what I'm going to be in particular stealing is, or what I'm going to try and see if I can uh, do is to capture some of that, some of the stuff, use the OSR rules. So they're very simple uh, playing. They, they really focus our attention on the fiction and whatnot. Um, but also give some mechanical ways that I can make certain kinds of adversaries feel special and feel different. You know, uh, I would love to be able to throw when the characters are at an appropriate level, because Scarlet Heroes has a very bigger-than-life heroics kind of flavor. You know, I love the idea of them being fighting off against hordes, like rows and rows and rows of, of skeletons, where it isn't just a narrative thing, and it isn't just them plowing through these guys because they're and them doing no meaningful um, consequence to them, uh, and also not slowing the damn game down to the point where I'm rolling, you know, attacks are 20 um, skeletons. Embrace that that sort of fast playing element of uh, of the OSR style games to keep things moving at a at a dramatically interesting pace. Um, to use the otherwise regular rules for Scarlet Heroes for normal, you know, or mid range kind of uh, adversaries, and then use the Nemesis rules, which is really cool. So. The way that uh, Scarlet Heroes allows you to play the basic, and forgive me if I'm telling you something that is not new to you, but the Scarlet Heroes game, Godbound, and the heroic rules for Revised Stars Without Number, what they do is they use this kind of like mathematical trick where you don't roll damage straight for the most part. You don't just roll your damage and, and then uh, add that as uh, damage. Instead, what you do is you roll... And then you compare that to a chart. If you rolled a 1 on your damage, uh, you did no damage. If you rolled a 2 to a 5, you did 1 point of damage. If you rolled a 6 to a 9, you do 2 points of damage. And if you rolled a 10 or higher, you do 4 points of damage. And each individual dice is compared to that chart. So if you've got a fireball doing 66 damage, you're doing anywhere between 0 and 24 points of damage. Now, that may not seem like an awful lot, but in the in all those games, in the heroic mode at least, you compare damage. Damage is compared to the hit dice of the targets. So 
low hit dice creatures like skeletons, they go down with one point of damage. And then you're assumed to apply damage flow through. So long as it makes narrative sense, you flow through damage. So this allows you to, you know, smash through for uh, individual fighters to smash through, um, you know, uh, a group of orcs or whatever. Um, but I'm wanting to see if I can actually ratchet that up even a little higher and allow that same player to, to dive in and have things move fast on my end, on the DM side, with a whole host of them, a whole horde of them. Uh, and conservative, conversely, uh, to see whether the Nemesis rules can make for a really interesting and deadly fight. And the reason that that is, uh, the way that works is basically you multiply the number of hit dice or the uh, hit points by four, which gives you a big fatter pool of dice or a pool of, um, of hit points, which means that there are, you know, um, uh, it, it'll take them longer for a group of uh, fighter, a group of uh, players working together to take down um, they also do damage straight, which means you just roll the dice and apply it. So their, their damage can be, you know, significantly larger, uh, than what, um, the players are, are dishing out. So that's also pretty, uh, pretty deadly. And it makes that feel a lot more like, holy shit, you know, uh, for the players when they're suddenly taking, I didn't think I could take seven points of damage, you know, uh, kind of stuff. Um, and, um, the one thing I am going to introduce as well is the idea from D&D 4th had a kind of idea with this with uh, solo monsters having multiple actions. Uh, and in particular, the, at the end of that uh, product line's life cycle. And I'm going to steal the legendary actions idea from 5th edition where I'm inserting in... Uh, they have a number of ways where they can just take actions before the enemies can. Actually, uh, Shadows of the Demon Lord, the uh, very cool uh, horror fantasy game published by uh, Robert Schwalb. That game also has some really fun like boss mechanics, which is uh, basically the same kind of thing. Like the bosses get uh, multiple actions. And that does play still pretty quickly. So I'm, I'm thinking that it will not slow things down to the point where it feels like a slog. 4th edition D&D fighting solos, it was really interesting for about 75% of the fight, and then it got a bit sloggy, because once everyone was out of their interesting things to do, it just felt, you know, very samey. Uh, or not very samey, but it just felt very tedious. It was just, you know, people were out of their interesting attacks and actions and stuff like that, and they were just unloading their boring, you know, no bells and whistles attacks on this thing. So it didn't feel all that special. Now, the worry I have is that it will ruin the speed with which I, we play. But I guess that's probably um, not a concern to be... It's not a real concern to have because those types of fights, if it is a quote-unquote boss fight, if it's a, against somebody who's got a you know, big bad name, then that should be a time where the mechanics are going to say, look, pay attention to this. This is going to give you more payoff. This is going to be more consequential and the decisions you make in this will have greater and important uh, effect on the on the fiction. Uh, this is a big dramatic moment. So I think that'll work, but uh, we shall see. I'll have to update on that. Um, but anyway, I think that's probably enough about my winding, rambling thoughts on um, whether complexity in uh, combat is a f something that's consequential of, or, or more connected to more modern 
games and uh, or whether you know that's something that can be associated with the OSR. And I think I also answered a question that wasn't asked, which was, you know, whether there's a distinction between the dramatic import of a of a, a combat or tactical encounter and or whether you know all things feel of uh, of equal importance and why i guess maybe i'm making a pitch for why they should have more dramatic consequence uh and whether that's intended or unintended um whether you're running a sandbox game or a um or a scripted kind of you know more story and narrative driven game but but anyway that's my thoughts what do you guys think leave me a message shoot me in line and uh I'll be back again very soon. Thanks all. Bye-bye. Okay, one last thing. I sat here thinking after completing the recording, gave it a quick listen through to make sure that uh, I wasn't losing the uh, train of thought too, too much there. But one thing I guess I, I'm not considering or did not consider in my thoughts on mechanics is, again, the ludonarrative dissonance. If I implement this rule of minions and boss fights and whatnot and and provide mechanical differentiations is that going to run contrary to the theme of a dangerous dungeon of you know exploration being important and so forth or is it going to play along with the theme of heroic exploration dungeon bashing kind of stuff that we're doing and we're seeming to all really enjoy with scarlet heroes hmm i don't know what do you think